today we have Shaywoon Adetaji. He is the founder and the CEO of Elevate Cannabis, which is a cannabis dispensary with multiple locations throughout the country and more on the way, from what I understand. And Shaywoon is also the youngest black cannabis dispensary owner in the United States of America. So uh, major props for that. And um you know, obviously, he's a wealth of knowledge about the cannabis industry itself, about starting businesses. This is a brother who's done all kinds of different things um, and been successful in, in business in a lot of different ways at a very young age. So he's got a lot to share with us. And uh, it's a pleasure, pleasure to have you on today, man, on the uh, on the Suit and Artist podcast, the show here, man. Oh, man. Thank you for having me on again. Um, so I was not terrible the first time. So and I got nah, second man. it. I got a second invite, so I feel good about that. <laughs> That's what's up, dude. So tell me about what you have going on right now. First of all, where are you where are you located right now? Where in the where in the world are you? Yeah, I'm in Dallas, Texas. So I, I live in Dallas, Texas now. Okay, so the last time um that we spoke at length, you were in the process of rolling out the new location in uh Massachusetts, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. So, so tell me about that, man. Tell me about the, uh, is that the, the newest location? And, and tell yeah. me how that's gone for you so far. Man, it's, it's going great. Uh, one, we have such an amazing group of people that work at our shop that makes work so amazing, right? Um, and so everything is going good. We, uh, we've been growing. Um, just We brought on a CFO uh, recently. Uh, her name is Naomi. She's an um, African-American woman. She's one of the top um, CFOs in the cannabis industry, period. She's a firecracker. And just having her on our team, I, you know, it, it's definitely making us um, into a real force to be reckoned with, um, having such a smart, intelligent uh, people coming together and understanding everyone's strength and understanding everyone's weaknesses and coming together for a common goal. I think it's beautiful to watch. So uh, and we got our COO. Her name is Cassandra. She just came on not too long ago. Uh, she actually got promoted three times. This woman is a firecracker, like just um, just a, a force to be reckoned with. And um, we saw the opportunity. We had a gap in, in our operational department and she had the skill set to fill it. Uh, so we, we put her in that position. So there's, there's a lot that's been going on. I could go here for days and talk about what's been going on. Uh, but how are things on your end? How are you doing? Man, everything is lovely, dude. I mean, you know, yeah. given the circumstances, we're all dealing with the same things. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And be, being, you know, detached from family to a degree or at least physically away from family has been tough. But, you know, business is good. Um, you know, we're doing interesting things like this, talking to people like you, you know, learning, constantly learning, creating, yeah. building new things uh, awesome. and, and the agency, man. So everything is lovely, man. But, um, you know, I, I, I've just been so impressed with what you've done because frankly it's such a um it's such an important and and relevant industry right now there's so much going on there's it still feels like it's wild wild west in the cannabis industry to a large degree and the fact that you've been able to navigate that again at such a young age that's really uh that's really interesting so you know i've wondered it is cannabis 
you know, there's certain stereotypes associated with the cannabis industry, right? But for you, has it been uh, a, a labor of love? Like, are you uh, an avid? Are you an avid cannabis consumer, connoisseur, uh, enthusiast yourself? Is it something that you're passionate about? Or is it something that you saw an opportunity in terms of business that had huge upside and that you had the wherewithal to get involved with? Like how much of it for you is a labor of love and how much of it is, you know, really good business? Um, I am all of the above. I am all of the above. I, it's not just one thing. Right. So I tell people like I have passions for a lot of things, but if it's not going to make me money, I'm not doing it. Um, I'm an advocate. And but if I don't if I can't feed my family and I'm starving, I'm not doing it. Um, it has to make sense at the end of the day financially. Like I don't take anything personal. Um, but you know, I would not be doing this if I was not in it for the money or to make money or to create generational wealth. But outside of doing that just for myself, I'm more into it to also bring the young African American men that I see in the street that are currently selling drugs, the same thing I am selling, and they're going to jail. There are uh, times that they would never gain back, the holidays they would never spend with their family, the birthdays they would never celebrate, the time, the time, the time they can never get back. And my goal, my mission is to you know, just debunk this theory that you have to be this major, like, you know, Ivy League student. That's why I tell my story all the time. It's like, look, guys, I did not go to Ivy League school. I didn't go to college. I, I'm a high school dropout, but I had passion and I saw an in emerging industry that I was passionate about. And, and I took the time. I put in the sacrifice and I did what I had to do to really change the trajectory of my life. And I want to encourage, I'm, I'm so passionate about our youth. I'm so passionate about like our community. And I want to like challenge and encourage our people to really look into this industry. Um, it is, it, it, it is the, the Democrats are in, they're running the house in the Senate right now. I think that there's a level of federal legalization that's going to come around the corner. You see that alcohol sales have been declining and people are trading the alcohol bottles for the cannabis bottle. This is a trend that is not going away. We're seeing the alcohol industry all over again with a with a freaking different substance. Excuse my language. No, nah, um, don't worry about and, the language, man. <laughs> and nah, uh, with the, um, you know, with, with a different substance. So I'm just like, guys, let's get excited about this. It's group economics, right? We're work I'm working on an article that's coming out that that is going to show people how we can raise capital as a collective unit without having to sell equity, without having to take on debt, but we do it strategically. So um, we're coming out with that article. Look out for it. I'm thinking inside and outside the box. Um, I just feel like right now, even if Ray Ray, Paul, Mama, Grandpa all comes together, get a dispensary, these the licenses are worth a million, five million, in some places like Florida, $50 million. I was like, bro, y'all can make the capital needed to pivot and do whatever you want or, you know, chase after your dreams, you know, execute on your visions. But we can't we can't do all that without money. 
Like, I don't care what anybody said. Everybody's like, oh, you know, just execute. You know, it, it, when you don't have money, it becomes harder. Mm-hmm. It becomes harder. I don't care what vision, even if you have the greatest business um, idea ever, if you do not have the capital to fuel it, you're not going to succeed. Right. And the reason why, to, you know, I would say a lot of, of our Caucasian um, counterparts are able to pour money, pour money into fire until it turns to water. Like, until they get, you get what I, like, yeah. it's, it's like, even when they fail, they win. They can pivot. They, they, they buy companies. They do, um, you know, like acquisitions of other company distressed asset. We, we don't have that. We don't have the, the capital where, wherewithal to, to say, hey, I see a distressed asset, but if we change the operations, if we change this, tweak this, you know, focus on what's making us the most margin, we're going to buy this asset and we're going to build it to something better. Like, you get what I'm saying? It's, it's just, Absolutely. I just think that we're not in the game yet. And, and I really think that there's a huge opportunity for us to really uh, get into the game by leveraging the cannabis industry to do something better. I, I love that, man. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to know how you, I mean, there's an article on the pseudonartist.com website uh, that I encourage everybody to check out that, that uh, Shaywoon uh, penned that talks a lot about his background. But if you could tell us a little bit, provide some context about where you came from, how you grew up, how you even got into cannabis, either, you know, even prior to it being legal, for example, like tell us a little bit about who you are to provide some context for the people listening. Yeah, um, I, I came from Lagos, Nigeria. I moved to Chicago, Illinois at the age of five. I was the kid that got in trouble, um, got kicked out of school. I sold cannabis at the age of th- like 13. I got arrested for selling cannabis at the age of 13. Um, I did not grow up in a wholesome home. Uh, my dad was a truck driver. I had a stepmom that was hurt and the return hurt us or hurt me. Right. Because, um, you know, I, and I don't blame anything on anybody. My life circumstances, it, it is what it is. I don't want pity. Uh, but instead of like sitting there complaining and crying about how difficult my life is, which it was, um, I just took accountability. I said, you know what? Yeah, I had a fucked up life. So what? Um, you know, nobody like, you know, I, I noticed something. I'm very observant. Like I used to cry and be like, oh, my life sucks. Everybody's like, yeah, your life sucks. But there was no change. They just agreed with you. So I'm just like, what am I sitting here telling people my life sucks? Just to hear them sympathize with me and tell me that my life sucked growing up. So I was like, okay, you know your life sucks. Okay, oh well. Oopsie dude. What are you gonna do about it? And um, I just determined that I wanted to change the narrative. Um, I didn't want to be a victim. I want to be a victor. So I was like, how can I do that? Um, And I started investing in myself. I started putting myself in uncomfortable situations that led to growth. I think the biggest thing I was scared of was changing the person I was so comfortable with. I was comfortable with you know, the person I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I hate getting out of my comfort zone. You get what I'm saying? But yeah. that was, it was a big thing for me is just to get out of my comfort zone, put myself in in situations where I made mistake, reevaluate, I failed more times than I've won. And, and, and all my failures have been lessons now. So 
is and I'm nobody special and in all reality I'm not I'm just a, a man that um sees that he's imperfect and I'm not I'm perfect and and I and I look at how can I better myself by asking people that gone through it like that I respect I started asking questions like you know what was your mistakes how did you succeed what was your biggest life lessons and I started seeing this people that I admire um, from a distance and when I had the opportunity just to, I didn't even want anything I was like I look I don't want nothing I just want to know like what was your story like mentally what the did you go through to be able to sit here today and I think that a lot of people just want the money but they don't understand the journey is more important than the money like if my if 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 my company today um if I lose it all I believe in myself that I could gain it back mm-hmm. like because I actually put in the work I put in the sweat equity I, I put in the time it was not given to me it was something that I I really just strategically dived in and worked on. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, like what, what my life journey sucked and I just said, oh, well, I'm going to dare God. I'm going to dare the universe destiny and I'm just going to be audacious and bold and be honest and, and, and lead with love and integrity and and see what happens from there. That's wonderful, man. Um, yeah. You know, we we talk a lot. Audacity, you mentioned, and we talk a lot about that. And it's I think one of the things that, you know, our, our European uh, brothers and sisters have in spades often, especially our male uh, European counterparts. They um, they have what seems to be an innate sense of, you know, I deserve this. I, I want big things and I am not afraid to expect them and ask for them and go after them in earnest. And uh, you mentioning that, I think, is probably a big ingredient um, to your success because it's not something that everybody naturally has. Uh, you mentioned putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and, and you're you're 27. Is that right? Yeah. So you're 27. You know, that's still you're still a young man. Give me an example of some of the earlier experience or situations in which you put yourself in what you call an uncomfortable situation. And, and what yeah. you learn from that, like what 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 you learn from that that you took with you on on your journey. Oh man, um, I you know I there's just so many different uncomfortable situations that has <laughs> happened that I don't even know where to get started. I think it was even um, uncomfortable doing a podcast, for example. I used to be so nervous. I was. Like, oh, my God, did I say the right thing? Am I speaking intelligently? Like, I, it was like so many thoughts like really go through your head because it was something that I've never done before. I was uncomfortable, but I knew that I had to do it um, to get my story out there. I had to do it to um, to to show the human side of me and not what, um, you know, just just what people write about me, but just see me for me. Right. So I I was uncomfortable. I was nervous. I, I used to breathe hard, like like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, before yeah. then, then I come on. So that was one thing that was very uncomfortable. I actually used to look at myself in the mirror and practice speaking because mm-hmm. I was so nervous. 
of actually speaking. Um, that was that was uncomfortable. That's a, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a huge fear for for people, right? One of the greatest fears out there. Uh, so, you know, beautiful that you've been able to to overcome that. Yeah. Um, how long have you actually been in the cannabis business? How long, how old is, is Elevate Cannabis? And is that your first foray into the cannabis business, the, the legal cannabis business or otherwise? And how long is it, how long has it been around? Yeah. So Elevate Cannabis, we opened our first shop in 2017. Um, so when you look at everything, we've been around less than like, let's say three years, less than two, like three years. Um, and I've been able to do some things that most people haven't been able to do in 10 years, um, which is be a multi-state operator, which is have multiple dispensary in multiple states. Um, so I think they're like, once again, I'm very audacious. Like I can't, I can't stop saying it because that's really it. It's I have a vision and I execute. So Elevate Canvas, we're, I would say 2021 this year is really going to be our first year because in 20, in 2019, we had to close down and then uh, move new to a new location. Uh, but doing that in that process, it took us a year to reopen. So mm-hmm. for a whole year, I had no revenue coming in for a whole year. I was paying on three properties in the state of Massachusetts. That one was for three years, but combined none of my assets was open so this we just reopened in 2020 in the in the pandemic we opened our eugene store in may again we opened our Athol store two months three months ago and we're crushing it and it's such a blessing to be in this position at this time and i'm, I'm just excited to see what we can do because right now this is and not all our assets are open right now. So we have more stores that are still being worked on. They're about to open um, and, and the excitement is there. So the multi-state operator, all of that is incredible, obviously. Right. Yeah. Um, but the multi-state operator piece, what what <laughs> knowledge experience did you have that put you in a position to even be able to execute that? You know what? Uh, obviously, it, it costs a lot of money, whether it's a pool of, of funds from a bunch of different people or it's investors or an individual. It's bootstrapped. Uh, from my understanding, from what we've talked about, uh, it, it costs quite a bit to uh, open a cannabis dispensary. So uh, what puts you in that position? What did you have going on that made that even a viable opportunity or an option for you as a business? Yeah. Were you you involved at all prior to even opening Elevate? Uh, Fear of failure. Um, I wanted to succeed more than I wanted to breathe. Um, Mm -hmm. I knew that the only way to succeed was to be audacious, to do something outside the box that no one else was brave or able to do. And then I had to be crazy in the sense of, I had to look at what is the cost associated to this. Then my philosophy is read the laws, leverage the laws. So- Give me an example of that. What do you you mean by that? Give me an example of how you uh, read the law and and leveraged it. 
Yeah. So, for example, in the state of Massachusetts, they as a as a corporation, you can only have three retail licenses for a corporation. Right. Um, any other retail license you want to own, um, you can only be nine point nine percent equity older. Right. So I knew that. What does big multi-state operators want? Big white major companies, what do they want, right? Well, they want to be, they want to expand rapidly and they want to have their product in every shelf. So what I did was I became more creative. I was like, boom, that's perfect. They have a restriction. They need somewhere to uh, pour their money, partner with. So I, I, I basically thought inside and outside the box, right? And I negotiated a deal where I sold 60% of my shelf space for a million dollars to get a million dollars cash. I say, hey, look, I already have the license to open a retail. I need more capital to basically fix up my retail, build it out, blah, blah, blah. I will sell you 60% of my retail space for two years to three years. I'll give it to you uh, for a fair market price and you give me a million dollars cash. So essentially you pre-sold the space in your retail location based on the fact that you already had possession of it and you had the license. And I knew the laws. And you understood the laws. So I knew their problem. And then not only did I know their problem, I had a solution for their problem. So now it was not, it's a win-win situation. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, look, I'm solving a problem for you. I'm not the smartest, but I know this is a problem. I've been in the industry and, you know, I was a kid that slept in my shop for a year. So I know the market. Like I could, I could just, I could look at like market trends and I, I understand it on a deeper level just by, you know, just than a lot of other people because I've lived it where I've done everything. I tell people I was a, um, you know, uh, uh, I did everything basically. <laughs> um, and I basically ran the retail. I ran the, the, the operation, the POS, the ATM, buying and selling. Like I did everything. Um, and... And, and that gave me a different insight into the business. Yeah, that's really interesting. So like by by actually knowing how to do every aspect of your own business, it I would imagine it made you better at finding the right people to replace you in those roles as you Absolutely. grew as well. Right. So Absolutely. that's really interesting. That's insightful, man. Um, where, where did you have? So, you, OK, you, you had already some assets you were working with even prior to getting that initial uh, infusion of cash, right, for the retail space. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? What were you doing before that put you in a position to realize, to think at the scale that you're thinking at? I think you don't need money, you need a better plan. I think it's all about knowing and, 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 and understanding needs of people is, is it's, um, yeah, so I knew how to win a license. So by knowing how to win a license, I, I became indispensable. Not a lot of people knew how to do what I did, right? And the, the next step was I was a good negotiator. I was able to talk to people, understand their needs, and then solve their problem. It might not be the way they wanted it, but it got to the results that they wanted. 
Um, I remember my first property, it was a gas station. So each of my retail dispensary, I owned the properties outright. And this one gas station, I negotiated for $50,000, right? So I bought the gas station, 50,000, I turned it into a dispensary. How did I, you know, worked out that deal? At the time, I didn't have the 50,000 cash, but I had the down payment and I had the asset to get the 50,000. It just took some time, right? So what I did was in the purchase and sales agreement, I, you know, got it to whereby I pay X amount down and I'll pay him in six months. So it gave me time to, you know, boom, sell whatever I have to sell asset, get the 50,000 cash, give it to him on the property. So different things like that. Yeah, that's lovely. So that that's really interesting. And I think you're touching on something that people often miss out on. And it's just having some creativity and how you structure something. And like you said, understanding what the needs are of your potential customer or partner. And if you can solve those problems as opposed to being mired in, you know, tunnel vision and whatnot, um, that can be really useful. So you mentioned you you, <laughs> you negotiated it. Uh, you didn't have the 50K, but you understood what his need was. Um, and, and I knew how to get the 50K. And you know, and you knew how to get the 50K. You don't you don't necessarily have to. And then a lot of people don't believe in you until you they see that you're serious and you have tangible paperwork to back it up like if someone comes to me and is like hey look i have a property i'm about to buy and they show me evidence and documentation and they then showed me the value that it can potentially have like i'm gonna be like oh my god i'm gonna borrow money from the bank like people don't understand people want to create generational wealth they just at times are not put in the right opportunity space to actually make this happen. I remember I got an email from a mayor one time. They were selling off uh, a portion lot of the like, you know, like a few acres in the city. And they they sent it to two companies. It was Elevate Cannabis and Cumberland Farms. I'll never forget. I was like, wow, this is interesting. So there is back deals that goes on. Like there's deals that takes place before it even goes to market. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So yeah. a lot of times we don't even, we're not even in the mix. A lot of times when there's crazy deals that's going on, when there's an asset. So I think like starting, if we could start getting in that mix of where the action is, can we get the knowledge, the education? Can we start building the relationships? Because a lot of these companies, they're multi-state operators. They go out and raise capital, but African-Americans, I think we're ashamed to go raise capital. I know like it was mm-hmm. a, it was a psychological thing for me that I had to not be ashamed to say, hey, guys, I went out and I raised a million dollars. You know, I was actually ashamed. I was like, oh, my God, I should just have the money myself, you know, but I didn't. That's interesting, man. I think that's that's real. And I think that's that's definitely a hindrance, especially for, you know, our community, because, you know, everybody. Uh, well, not everybody, but people want to give off the sense they're doing well, they're balling and whatnot. And. In reality, even the wealthiest of investors and people who start businesses and I, you know, I live in Silicon Valley. Right. So it is I mean, people with hundreds of millions of dollars sitting in the bank are still raising money because they don't want to use their own funds. And And there is this whole there's this whole cadre of people who are looking, you know, looking for where to where can we put some money 
and and make some money? And it, it could this thing potentially be the next unicorn or even something that falls far short of a unicorn business is still, you know, monumental amounts of money and resources. Right. So um, I think, yeah, that's definitely something like but black people. We have to get past that if that's something that uh, is a hindrance for us. One hundred percent. Yeah. And, and and be prepared. Like you said, man, the paperwork is such a big deal, man. I've seen so many businesses, but black businesses in particular lose out because they don't have um, their paperwork or the infrastructure in place. You mentioned hiring a COO and a CFO for your business. And, uh, you know, that's in Massachusetts. You're sitting in Dallas right now. Right. That That's a function of, um, you know, putting the right people in place and understanding what that process needs to be like that's that it's incredible that you have figured this out at such a young age who um who influenced you where does this thought process come from is it hereditary do you come from a family that you know was just natural born hustlers you know uh where does where does that come from man um i I would say it comes from just life experience i'm a data-driven person and, and, and I'm very like, I just look like, what do I want? Then I look at how can I get there? So I ask questions. Like I say, I ask a lot of people questions. So I meet wealthy people. And even though we're not friends or they're not my mentor, when I get the opportunity to ask them questions, I, I ask them, like, how did you get here? What was your journey like? I have a billionaire contact on my phone. Right. This dude, you know, has not invested in my business or nothing like that. But sometimes he has the time and he, you know, we speak. Right. And I just ask him questions and it's mind blowing how he thinks. And it's like his journey is like, wow, things that I was so frustrated about. I remember there was this big corporation that was going to open up right next to me. And I was so ashamed. I was just like, oh, my God, they just raised a hundred million dollars. I can't compete with them. This is heartbreaking, blah, blah, blah. I was just sad. And and I called this man is like super wealthy, very well off. And he started talking to me. He's like, Shane, McDonald's eat up, you know, little businesses all the time. You're going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. It's OK if you're a mama pop business. There's nothing wrong with that. And I just needed to hear that from this wealthy person because I felt defeated having to face someone that just raised a hundred million dollars and they're going to open up right next to me if possible, if they could. Yeah. yeah. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, I guess it can be, but I mean, I, you're, you're bringing up something that's important, like keeping perspective, you know, would you, uh, a, a mom and pop business can be a multiple hundred million dollar business exactly but it was perspective i was younger you get what i'm saying it was like my youth one thing i know i know that i don't know you get what i'm saying it's it's the ability to seek out elders people that walk through that path or have navigated that and then ask questions because a lot of times we just psych ourselves out that, that that's what it, that's what it felt like for me. It was like, holy smoke, I was psyching myself out. I did not. I was not wise enough to see this. And that's OK. We need to be OK to say that, hey, we don't know. Like, there's no shame in that. And I think a lot of times we feel like we need to know everything or our our thought process at the moment is the right thought process, which is not. You know, it could be, but it could not. 
too at the mm. same time. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as the cannabis industry, how, how many dispensaries in the short term, I, I would say, say the next couple, three years, how many dispensaries are you opening and will you have opened, I guess? And where are those dispensaries? You know, we're going to be everywhere. Cannabis is recreationally legal. So our goal and our mission is to continue to grow, to be audacious. Um, if if I, I feel like if I'm not dreaming, to, if my dream doesn't scare me, I was telling this uh, man, he's a big time investor, and I was telling him what my goals are. He's like, Shane, when I listen to you, you scare me, but... I was like, really? I was like, I love this. He was like, this is some big audacious goals. I was like, if this man is scared of my dreams and my aspiration, then I'm crazy enough to dream big. Then I'm yeah. dreaming big. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. and it was just confirmation for me that we're, we're our goal is to continue to expand um, our role. We're going to be a brand to be reckoned with, and we're going to help and, and bring more uh, POCs along to really – I'm share in this pot of generational wealth. So we're excited about that. I I am as well. So you mentioned generational wealth, obviously a recurring theme around here. Um, What are the opportunities? I mean, obviously there's cultivation, there's owning dispensaries, both come with quite a lot of regulation, pretty high barriers to entry. What are some other opportunities that people of color can um, maybe move into where there's need and maybe the the, uh, access to opportunity and the barriers to entry are not as high. If you are a, if you run, if you're an attorney, we need attorneys that specialize in the cannabis industry. If you are a bookkeeper, we need people that specialize in the cannabis industry. For example, um, you know, we were paying our bookkeeper close to like, I think it was like at one point, like five to $10,000 a month. And this is the low end. This is us being like, because you have to know exactly what can be written off, what can't be written off. Um, so it's, you know, you could be a CFO making $150,000 in salary in the cannabis industry up to, you know, a quarter of a mil. And, you know, that's you're still doing good. Right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about those other um, non plant touching um, uh, uh, side of the industry that people are not even thinking about. If you have the ability to build website, if you have a security firm that can help the cannabis industry and help them set up their security, keep them safe and their people safe, guess what? And just security alone in Massachusetts, I think we spent like $70,000 in just security alone, right? So it's this opportunity in a regular business for what we spent 70,000 for, they would have probably spent 10. So they're taxing people within the cannabis industry because they see the higher revenue that we're gonna make. They see the potential. If you're in construction, a building that's supposed to cost us a quarter of a mil, contractors are trying to charge us 500,000 to 1.5 million to build out just because they know we're a cannabis business, right? So. So there's there's different opportunities that and people was paid it. People were paid because they know like, hey, once we open, we're going to generate if we're first to market and, you know, in in a place where, you know, blah, 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 population, we're going to make X X amount of dollars. This doesn't matter. This is just change for us. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have 
if you're an electrician, like use your skill sets, specialize in the cannabis industry, you're going to make crazy money. So you do not have to focus on just the plantation aspect of the industry. There is other sides of the industry that people need help with. And um, you can utilize your skill set, your passion to help really grow a company. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great advice. So you mentioned uh, basically any industry there is that's serving another industry. There's probably some type of parallel track in the cannabis industry that's uh, at least at the moment more profitable with better margins because you all are getting gouged because you're in the cannabis industry. Um, You mentioned uh, you mentioned the federal legalization. Right. So the big thing about the cannabis industry is it's certain states. Obviously, it's legal. On the federal level, it's still illegal. What is class A? The schedule uh, one. Schedule one. Sorry. Yeah. Schedule one, Um, which is ridiculous, as we both know. But what what problems does that present uh, in terms of banking? I mean, I've heard, you know, obviously banking is a problem. Banks are FDIC insured. They're regulated by federal government. So that could be iffy. How do you deal with that much cash, that much money um, flowing through your business? And without, um, I, and, and how do you bank in the cannabis industry? So credit unions, not all, but a limited amount of credit unions are being open to bank with cannabis business. So in the past, we didn't have that. But now we do. Um, for example, in Oregon, we have to wait for six months in queue just to get our bank open with MAPS Credit Union because in the whole state, that's the only credit union and they only have one location. So wherever you're at in the whole state of Oregon, you have to, for us, we have to drive two hours just to deposit cash into our bank. For example, right? In the state of Massachusetts, we go with GFA Credit Union, um, but theirs is a lot more advanced. We have Garda that comes in um, and and picks up uh, the the cash and then takes it to our bank. So, um, you know, we can't get loans like regular banks do, right? So if we want to go out and expand our business, there's no one that's willing to give us loans. Um, So that's also a big thing. So you also look at taxation. Uh, We're taxed anywhere from 40, 50% total revenue. So let's say you make 10 million out of that 10 million, um, 5 million is going to taxation. So you're making 5 million. Um, so by it, the coming from a schedule one to a schedule three, um, that they're, they're, they just had a bill on the table right now to the, to change it to a schedule three. Um, I, you will see a lot more people be more profitable. Um, you would start seeing from a total of 40, 50% in taxation, you're going to see it at maybe like a regular business at 21% or something like that in taxation. So, um, we're pushing and we're hoping for that. If that does happen, um, you would see a lot more people, you see the stock, stock prices will jump like crazy and, um, yeah, more businesses would be a lot more wealthy. Wow. So you mentioned, I mean, that's, that's a huge number in, in taxes, obviously, which, which indicates there's just a ton of money in this business, right? There's, there's, there's a ton of money in it. So I don't know how much you, you know, you're, you're, you're able or willing to talk about the, the revenue from these businesses, but 
you know, can you give us a sense of, uh, you know, I know there's all kind of variables, variables, but you know, per square foot or or whatever, how much is a cannabis dispensary that's reasonably successful, I guess? How much is a cannabis dispensary making? How much is yours ballpark making in terms of revenue? And then looking at costs, I mean, obviously you've got payroll, you've got huge taxes, and there's obviously enough left over for this still to be a really wonderful business. So can you give us a perspective on if you're looking at the cannabis business as an investor, someone who might want to do a dispensary or open a dispensary, what type of revenue are we looking at potentially? Yeah, I'll go based off like Massachusetts and I'll go based off Oregon for Massachusetts. Let's say an average store can make anywhere from 30 to $50,000 a day. Um, In Oregon, an average store can make 50,000 to like a hundred thousand a month, right? Some people make a lot more than that. Some people make about in a month, they could make about a quarter of a mil in a month. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people can make 300, 400. Location is key. Um, where you, location is key. Um, different states, we have friends in Seattle where they make a million dollars a month. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, it's location. Then you have to take into consideration is do they have a licensing cap? So some state like Massachusetts, even though the state, for example, does not have a licensing cap, they give the cities the ability to put caps on licenses. So the cities opt in so in most cities in Massachusetts, they give you a like, hey, we're giving out two license, five license. So it it's supply and demand. It, it, it then adds uh, more value to these licenses once you do get it. So like for us, like for me, it's like in my head is like I would never be poor because if anything happens, like I could only sell my license because they're the only, th- you know, in each city, they were only giving out two and I have one yeah, of the yeah. two. So yeah. an average license, just the paper itself, you could sell it for anywhere from a mil to $3 million to $5 million, right? Just because just the paper, you know, um, to, 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 to get into the industry um, is interesting. Are there many people or organizations sitting on licenses and not doing anything with them? Um, I, I think not necessarily sitting and not wanting to do something with them, but mm-hmm. I think some people are sitting on assets. They're not yet open. Interesting. So if you were, uh, I mean, looking at the places, the, the states where, you know, recreational or, or you, you said recreational specifically. So looking at the states where that's available, where would you, if you're starting off or you're considering opening your first uh, dispensary, where where would you, what states would you be looking at? What cities, where would you be looking? What what factors would you be considering in choosing uh, a location? There's all this money. Do I have the money to withstand that state? So mm-hmm. for me, if I, if I, if I had to look at now, now, and what state would I go into? I'll go to Oklahoma. I'll go to Oklahoma due to the fact they don't have capital licenses. I will have a projection that I would not make a lot of money and you have to be okay with that. But the reason why you would go to Oklahoma and open, here's the reason. Knowledge is power. You gain experience, you gain relationship. And now if you're creative, you leverage those things and start looking at new states 
where there is, where you could be the first to market, where you could go and use your relationship to raise capital to go after new states. So for me, I always look at long-term it's not a race as a, uh, as a marathon. So a lot of people want success. No, no, now, now, now. I want to be rich, 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 rich. But they, they don't know that it is, 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 is a process. It's, 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 it's going to take time. It's, it's, it's sacrifice, right? Um, yeah, that's my thought process. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So... If you had, let's say you've got the capital to, well, let's talk about that. What, what does it actually cost to open a dispensary? I, I live in California, so this is probably worst case scenario. I'd imagine here in New York, Massachusetts, it's a high tax state, but someplace like California, where you're going to get beat over the head, right? What is it, what is it going to cost me to open a dispensary? Man, I'll, I'll say a mil to 1.5 mil in Cali. If It just all depends on relationship and network. If, if right. you have the right relationship, the right network, your prices, your costs can decrease, right? It, there's so many different variables that if I had to, like, look at it, it's, it's just hard for me. But, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's like if you have the right team, right structure, it could cost you 500000 If you have the right relationship, right structure, uh, right team, everything is just perfect. Cost you five hundred. Now, a lot of people don't consider the time it takes to go after a license, the amount of capital, the wait time, just so many different variables that we have not discussed that it gives me, that's why I say one to like 1.5 mil. And it could even go anywhere to 2.5 mil, you know, honestly, because Cali is a different market, is a different ballpark, right? They're limited in the amount of licenses they're given now, supply and demand. So now it's very, is a very competitive scene out there. So um, this sure. is just so, is, is, but it could be very successful once you win. Yeah, kind of like everything else out here, right? I mean, it's high stakes. Everything costs a lot, but if you can play the game, it's, you know, the upside is is crazy potentially. Also, it seems like there's a lot more, um, this might, I don't have any data to back this up, but it seems like there are more dispensaries in L.A. Like when I'm in L.A., it seems like there's just a lot more um, down there. Um, but, you know, at, at any rate, that is interesting what you mentioned. So where is the next do you have a sequence in which you do things? And is that based on in terms of opening locations? Is is that uh, something that you do multiple locations at one time or do you just do one at a time? Do you know where you're going to be next? Like where, where's the next uh, dispensary going to open? You know, for us is is more about um, strategically and being strategic and ownership. Right. So for me, I it's public information, so I don't mind saying it. Like I own ninety three percent of my company in in Massachusetts. I own ninety eight in Oregon. Now, in order to make sure that um, I continue to be majority owner, I have to be strategic on what capital do we take, what capital we don't take, right? And in order to not dilute the creativity and the authenticity of the brand, 
Um, it's, it's, that's why we're, we haven't been growing so fast like everyone else, because we want to stay true to who we are. Like, you know, I'm 27, like, I don't need to be super wealthy overnight. Like my gradual growth, you get what I'm saying model is, is working for me. It's, it's like, Hey, look, I, I can grow. I'm, I'm successful as is right now. Like you get what I'm saying. But, but like, no matter what I didn't you know, more peace. So that's why I'm not in a rush to just take capital, lose, lose my company, lose the authenticity, lose the vibe and what we're really trying to create for the people and, and bring more people along. So I think that's just one of my fears is I, I want to be able to, I call it freedom, um, to be able to do what I want and to bring on the right people that, that deserve the opportunity. Man, that's that's why I rock with you, fam, because uh, that's what it's about, man. You know, yeah. once you got enough to pay your bills, you're not worried about where stuff is coming from. You know, you realize yeah. you can it, it's easier to prioritize things and make the, the, the right decisions because they're simply the right decisions as opposed to having to have a a profit motive um, exactly. attached to them or the profit motive being the exclusive thing. So I, I love that, man. I love that you've. um you know, been able to balance all these things so beautifully, man. That's what uh, Sudan Artist is all about, man. That's why uh, that's why we fucks with you, man. Yeah, um, I love it. Appreciate <laughs> it. Appreciate it. You know, th- there was there's one more piece I wanted to ask you about that's that's interesting. And you mentioned like collective wealth and pooling resources and your lineage. You're, you you are of Nigerian descent, and I have observed right as a, as an outsider. It seems that uh, Nigerians, often people from the continent in general, um, they're more apt to pool resources and um, amass wealth for the community collectively with that as a as a strategic goal. And I'd like to ask you, as as a brother who is of Nigerian descent, who's Nigerian, what what is your interpretation of that have you seen have you seen that have you seen where um nigerians for example might be more apt to pool their resources in a cannabis venture or a venture that would require a lot of a lot of money do you see them more apt to take that leap than our um african-american brothers and sisters i'll say yes and 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 the reason i say this is like I, me and my friends were talking about it. And one of the biggest problems is we want to look wealthy, but we're not wealthy. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's, it, um, I think that we, we've experienced so much trauma and we've experienced so much headache as an African-American community that we are scared um, to get uncomfortable. Like we're scared to be great, the full greatness that we are. Right. And for me, I would say um, unlearn, relearn. Right. Um, Yeah. Africans do it, but I could see all of us doing it. Um, It's Mm -hmm. potentially we have the ability to all do it. It's just a decision. Um, And I think that a lot of people are scared to see someone else win more than them. But I think that they're not looking at the bigger picture. Like, yeah, if this dude wins, this is your resource, your, your, your resource. Now you have a, you know, this person 
Kent. You get what I'm saying? You guys can yeah. come together and plot on how you all win, but some people are scared to see someone else win more than them. Mm-hmm. Again, like me, like I give out free information. Someone was just like, oh man, Cheryl, I'm gonna be richer than you successful. I was like, man, I hope you do. Like right. money is not everything. Like I don't really, I was just like, I love money, but how much money can I have? You know, to yeah, like what, what did Jay say? What what's what's better than one billionaire? Two. You <laughs> right? get what I'm saying? Especially if they're the same hue as you. So it's, so that's what it is, man. It is. So it's just like for me, I'm selfish, man. I want to see all my bros win. I want to see my people win. It's like, yeah, bro, win. Like you win, like I win. I'm selfish. Like I have <laughs> goals and aspirations. I want to see you win. Yeah. So, what, what what can we do? So uh, what steps could be taken? Right. I think we're talking think, about the cannabis business, building generational wealth. There's this opportunity to have, um, you know, we're not as in we are not as involved or we do not have the same level of access as others. And, you know, it's been um, in the in the black market, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Um yeah since since day one and and beyond so what can we do collectively what types of actions could we take to benefit financially economically as black people i guess across the diaspora really um from from the cannabis industry where are the opportunities that we can collectively take advantage of if we decide to make those moves um like I'm going to talk about the article that's coming out real quick that that is, is you guys have probably heard of Susu or um, it's called Elevate Investment. That's what we're going to call it. And basically we're challenging um, African-Americans and corporations to come together each month, put twenty five to fifty thousand in a pot, give it to one individual to get a business going. That would be about three hundred thousand, six hundred thousand and fifty thousand. Right. So come to really come together and and do something and something tangible, especially right now with COVID-19 hitting. If we pull our money like together, the asset that we could go and acquire and that asset would then start generating as revenue. That asset, you could go out, buy a home, go to the bank, recollateralize your home, get another, let's say, $500,000 out of it, get another $280,000 out of it, go buy another home. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? And I to do. me, as group economics, is we have to come together. I, I just, you know, that we don't have enough money. Individually, we don't. We might have 25,000, 50,000 here and there. Right. But imagine if you had 12 people come together with 25,000, they give it to you. You have 300,000. You go buy a home. We collateralize that home, get another 280,000, get somebody leased that home. Yeah. Like this is stuff I think about. And I'm just like, bro, let's just work together. We could all make money, bro. Like, who cares? (laughs) I just don't care who cares who has the bigger what. I'm just like, let's just make money. Let's really stop talking about it. Let's be about it. Let's come together. Let's join hands. And I'm putting this article out there. Somebody wants to steal it, go for it. Right? Do it. I just, yeah. someone was like, you shouldn't do this. Don't do that. I was like, I'm going to do it. Someone's going to take it. I was like, I want them to fucking take it. Get rich. 
let's stop being poor. Let's stop having this poor man mentality. That's right. Because it's like there's so much more to life. Like that, like there's so much more to life. And there's so much more, and there's so much more. Period. Like there, this whole hoax about there's there's abundance. There's plenty for everybody out here, and everybody can enjoy what wealth affords affords you. So this whole thing that's happening right now, uh, social uh, economic stratification, you know, poverty of brown people, that's by design, but it doesn't have to be that way. And uh, my man, Chewun, is is proof that you do not have to be limited by you can you can get past the very real blockers that exist, whether they be race, economic, there are ways around it. So if you're really committed to doing it, here's proof that you can do it. So, man, please tell us again about the the article that's coming out and and where people can engage with this and find out more about it. You know, we'll be talking all about it when you drop it. So um, let us know where to find that, where everybody can find it. So right now we don't have an outlet that picked it up, but we're working on it and we're going to get it out. Um, just be on the lookout on, on our social media, or LinkedIn. Um, we're going to post it as soon as we get it out. Hey, you know, we got you good. too, man. So thank so you. Can, I appreciate it. that happen. Hey, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Yeah. For sure. So always working on it to to get it out there. And um, we're definitely going to hit you guys up and and, and get that help that we need to really get to your audience and many more people so they can see it and, and see what it's all about. I love it, man. And when you're ready to do a course about how to finance your cannabis business. Yeah. Get at me, man. Let's do it. Okay, Let's do that. Thank you. I appreciate you. For real. Hey, man. Blessings, dude. You know, it's always a pleasure, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time, man. No problem. Stay elevated, okay? Of course, my brother. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Always. Of course. (laughs) All right, my man. All right, bye. Peace.